All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today is a mock draft Monday, as well as a rapid reaction to Super Bowl 54. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falfans and, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. And today we are doing a rapid reaction, giving you my thoughts, my observations from Super Bowl 54, as well as a mock draft Monday. For those of you that have not been listening to the podcast for the last three weeks or are new to the podcast, and if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Every Monday until here until the draft, we will be doing a mock draft Monday, which is basically a joint venture between the Lockdown Podcast Network and the draftnetwork.com, where I will be looking at one of the mini mock drafts published within the last week on that website, breaking it down, giving you my thoughts on whoever they have projected to the Atlanta Falcons. And without further ado, Let's jump right into that. So today's mock draft Monday, where I'll be breaking down a mock draft from a analyst at the draftnetwork.com. This one comes from Carter Donick from his mock draft posted on January 31st. He had the Atlanta Falcons taking LSU edge rusher Kalevon chase on. And we know that the Falcons are going to be very interested in edge rushers in this upcoming 2020 NFL draft because we already heard general manager Thomas Dimitrov talk about wanting to add more playmakers and being able to generate more pressure from the outside. And chase on is a very intriguing prospect. He combines a very intriguing set of raw tools and potential with great athleticism. He has the length. He has the upside. However, I do think he's a pretty underdeveloped pass rusher. You know, he got on the field back in 2017 as a true freshman for LSU, flash potential, then tore his ACL the following year, came back this past season, donned the famous number 18 jersey for the LSU Tigers. This past year was a difference maker on that defense. You're going to hear a lot of people between now and, and April's draft comparing Chase on to Vic Beasley currently with the Falcons. And I think that's a fair comparison. You know, I think in a lot of ways, they're both sort of amazing athletes. I wouldn't be shocked at all once we get to the combine later this month. If chase on runs a sub four, five forty, you know, just completely blows up the combine. He's an extremely comfortable athlete when it comes to dropping in space. I think he has a lot of potential as a pass rusher, but I do think he's very raw at this point. He's a guy similar to Beasley that I think mostly wins off of speed and off of stunts, but you see flashes, you see a bull rush, you see a spin move every now and then you'll be able to see him use that superior length to win on the edge. But again, I think it's underdeveloped. So I think he has tools that Beasley just never really had. I think Chase on's a little bit more powerful. He's a lot longer. And those are things that can be valuable assets for a pass rusher when he's developing his arsenal of moves. But I do think if chase on does wind up in Atlanta, similar to what we saw with Vic Beasley this past season, at least immediately until that pass rushing skill is developed, I do think the best usage for him would be sort of as a stand up linebacker playing on the strong side, 
on early downs and then on sub package stuff, nickel stuff, passing downs, get the opportunity to rush off the edge, occasionally put his hand in the dirt and be that more of that defensive end. I think the question you're going to have with chase on in terms of his fit in Atlanta is simply the fact that Atlanta in this current coaching staff doesn't have an illustrious history when it comes to developing some of these raw edges like Vic Beasley, like Tack McKinley. We'll have to see if the new hire of assistant coach Tosh Lupoy will have a lot more success developing guys like Chase Sean and Tack McKinley moving forward. That's something that Lupoy was known for in the college ranks. And, you know, I think it's fair to question if Chason could potentially make a better off-ball linebacker than a pure pass rusher, I think he has that versatility and that skill set to be a valuable chess piece in a defense that can be used in a variety of ways and not just solely as a pass rusher, a guy that can drop in the space and cover tight ends and linebacker and running backs, I'm sorry, as a linebacker. I think he's a very talented player, but I do think he is raw as a pass rusher, as I said earlier. I think for many evaluators and for other teams, that would be considered a pretty minor obstacle for them because I think they would be a lot confident that they could coach him up. I think when it comes to the Falcons specifically, I am a little bit more hesitant on that type of player and less overly optimistic that he could come to Atlanta and be really anything differently than that sort of three-year project that perhaps this coaching staff might not be capable of or have the opportunity to sort of reap the benefits of his unique skill set because it wouldn't come to the forefront until much further down the road and who knows if this current coaching staff led by Dan Quinn and company will still be around. We'll have to sort of see about that, but you know, Chase on makes a lot of sense for the Atlanta Falcons, but there are questions than there would be in terms of potentially other edge rushing prospects. So there's your mock draft Monday. So we're going to continue today's conversation by talking about the Super Bowl and giving you my rapid reaction, talking about Patrick Mahomes versus Jimmy G big plays, the run game, defense matters, Kyle Shanahan blowing it, as well as what potentially the Falcons and we could learn from this game and and sort of various narratives. But before we get there, you know, after you win a Super Bowl, I don't know if you can have any greater confidence on the football field, but in terms of trying to gain some confidence in the bedroom, I think you have to rely on BlueChew.com because BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they'll work up to twice as fast as a pill. BlueChew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it's shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. It's cheaper because it's prepared and shipped direct. Right now, you can take advantage of this special offer by visiting BlueChew.com and get your first ship free when you use our special promo code locked on just pay five dollars shipping again that's blue com. promo code locked on to try it for free blue chew is the better cheaper and faster choice it's a new calendar year and everyone's looking for ways to stay fit in 2020 the best way to get in the best shape of your life is with echelon go to echelon fit.com to discover their 
EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high quality at home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, busy moms and dads, regardless of your activity level. With daily live and on-demand studio classes right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym. You'll love Echelon, but if you aren't 100% satisfied, they'll give you your money back. Don't pay a ton for a Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today and join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. Go to Echelon Fit dot com slash l o n f l that's e c h e l o n fit dot com slash l o n f l echelon fit dot com slash l o n f l echelon it's your time so let's get into the rapid reaction to the super bowl and you know i was all prepared to talk about how patrick mahomes laid a stinker and how you know the fact that the going back to what i said on thursday how the Chiefs are sort of this offensive-driven team. And, you know, the analogy I used then was it's like a three-point shooting team in the NBA where if you rely, you live by the three, you die by the three, and you, you live by your quarterback in the offense, you die by the quarterback in the offense. And because Patrick Holmes played like crap for 53 minutes, the Chiefs were going to die. But then for the last seven minutes, he made some big-time throws. You know, he was really off the mark. And even late in the game, he, he missed some throws that Kelsey almost touched down. That was a pass interference. That was an off target throw, but fortunately they were able to draw the flag, get the ball down at the one and then score on the next play. You know, I thought Jimmy G was the better quarterback for three and a half quarters, but unfortunately Garoppolo had some potential for some late game heroics, but missed that deep throw to Emmanuel Sanders that could have won them the game in the closing minutes. Um, I know people are going to sit here and say, you know, Kyle Shanahan blew another one. It gets the monkey off the Falcons back. I don't really get that criticism. I don't really get the people that are saying Kyle Shanahan should have been running the ball, you know, in the fourth quarter. I mean, I guess you could say that, but like, are people like sitting here saying like they didn't run the ball on a second and nine with a 10 point lead with nine and a half minutes to go in their own territory. That's a terrible play call. You have to run the ball in that situation. Like I don't get that criticism. You know, bleeding an extra 30 seconds off the clock by running it versus passing it, I don't really think is going to help you. I think getting first downs is going to help you. You know, I know people are going to see, you know, I'm the weirdo that doesn't think Kyle Shanahan called a bad game, but I think you could certainly say his clock management at the end of the first half was very questionable. But other than that, I don't really have any issues with Kyle Shanahan calling how he called the game. I know people are going to say, Aaron, you're a contrarian. I just think I'm reasonable. I think I'm a reasonable, rational human being that saw the clock. It's like, you got three more possessions running one or two or three more plays. Isn't stealing a possession from the chiefs in that situation. You know, the, just because the chiefs ability to generate big plays, you got to get stops. And that's the, the difference in this game. It's the big plays that, that really made the difference. You know, the chiefs wound up, generating four 20 plus yard plays in this game. And three of them came on like the last three drives and it, they all led to points. You know, you look at those four plays on four separate drives. They, that led to 24 of the chiefs, 31 points. The 49ers had three big plays on the three drives in this game. That counted for 10 of their 20 points. It just goes back to what I've said all along about, you know, big plays equals points. I do think the Chiefs defense really stepped up in a major way. I thought Steve Spagnolo was able to dial up some blitzes at some really opportune times that really 
disrupted the 49ers offense in their passing game. It really looked like the pressure was able to affect Garoppolo a lot more than it affected Holmes. Mahomes, I'm sorry. You know, I'll be curious to sort of see what pro football focus and their grades when it comes to Garoppolo under pressure. But I know when you look at the five times he was hit, um, not counting the sacks, Garoppolo was over five with an interception. And then when you looked at the four times Mahomes was hit, you know, he was two for four for 72 yards with two out of the three big plays he had coming on plays where he was hit as he was thrown. As I said on Thursday, I was rooting for the Chiefs, A, because, I, you know, I want Andy Reid to finally get that monkey off of his back. B, I am also was rooting for the Chiefs because I like Patrick Mahomes. And C, I was rooting for the Chiefs, you know, I will probably, you know, and like Q, I was rooting, like all the reasons I was rooting for the Chiefs. But no, like the other reason I was rooting for the Chiefs was I wanted to see an offensive team, an offensive driven team really sort of win a Super Bowl to put to bed that narrative that a good offense can't beat a, a good defense in the Super Bowl and defense always wins and all that sort of thing. And certainly, I still think it's certainly fair to say that more often than not, a great defense will overcome a great offense for the exact same reasons I said earlier, where it's like a three point shooting team that if you have an off night, if you're not hitting your threes, you got nothing else to bank on. And, you know, it looked that way for the Chiefs for most of this game. And fortunately for them, Patrick Mahomes, after playing like poop for 53 minutes, um, you know, came through in the end and made some big time throws. And you you saw Sammy Watkins and, and Tyreek Hill do that. But, you know, I know for a lot of people listening to this podcast, they're they're relishing this win because it, quote unquote, proves that Kyle Shanahan was the reason why the Falcons lost the Super Bowl, as opposed because he's now blown two Super Bowl leads in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I, I don't personally agree with that. I know I'm, I'm the weirdo that doesn't agree with that. Like, it doesn't make 28 to three better. You know, it's not like people are going to be like, well, we can't joke on the Falcons anymore for 28 to three because, you know, that's not one of the worst losses in sports history. One of the worst blown leads because the 49ers blew a 20 to 10, you know, 20 to 10 just doesn't have that same ring to it, if you ask me. But again, I know people are going to be mad at me for saying that. I just I feel sorry for Kyle Shanahan because I'm a big fan of Kyle Shanahan. I will always be a big fan of Kyle Shanahan. As I said on Thursday, he gave me something with that 2016 Super Bowl team that I've never had as a Falcon fan, which is a team that legitimately had a chance to win a Super Bowl. Unfortunately, they didn't pull that off. I don't blame Kyle Shanahan for that. I blame the entire team for that, nor do I blame Kyle Shanahan for the 49ers losing this game. You know, the Chiefs made plays on defense. They made plays on offense. The 49ers didn't. It's simple as that. That's what football is. It doesn't change, but it is what it is. But I'm at least happy Andy Reid got his Super Bowl win. We'll see what Andy Reid decides to do if he ties his walk off in the sunset. Um, he doesn't strike me as the type of dude that can give up football, so I, I don't necessarily expect that. But, you know, he's had a, a very long, successful NFL coaching career. And so if he wanted to hang it off, he could. Um, but I'm also happy because it just proves that explosiveness matters. It's the most important thing in football. It ain't the running game. It ain't the defense. It's big plays. That's my theory and I'm sticking to it. So we will continue today's conversation by talking about what we can take away from this Super Bowl win by the Chiefs or the Super Bowl loss by the 49ers and apply it to the Atlanta Falcons. You don't want to miss that. Coming up on today's Locked On Falcons podcast. But guys, it's not just me reacting to the Super Bowl win. You can check out a wide variety of Locked On daily podcasts 
across the network, including the Locked On NFL podcast, where host Brian Peacock is joined by NFL scout Matt Williamson every day to talk all things football. Get Matt's thoughts on this Super Bowl win. See if he thinks that Kyle Shanahan blew it. Check it out on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So what can we learn from this game as it applies to the Falcons? Nothing. Well, appreciate you guys for tuning in for Locked Out, another Locked Out. No, I, I, I think it's kind of basic when people try to apply too much stuff from what, you know, and copy another team and their success. I think every team is different. I think that's part of the reason that I have a beef with a lot of the analysis you hear. I think every team is different. Every team has a, a different and unique blueprint. There's no one way to build a team. There's no one way to win in the NFL. I mean, there's five basic things that you have to do well to have consistent success in the NFL. And if you have consistent success in the NFL and win on Sundays, you'll have an opportunity potentially to win a Super Bowl. That you know, you need to have your quarterback play well. You need to have some form of balance in your offense with a healthy running game. You need to be able to generate those big explosive plays because those are the easiest ways to flip field position and put yourself in a scoring position. You need to be able to score touchdowns when you flip the field position, get in the red zone. You need to be able to convert and sustain drives on third downs. Those are the five things you need to do in order to win football games on offense and on defense. You got to stop teams from doing those five things. And generally speaking, you know, if you can stop the run, if you can pressure the quarterback and you have good coverage on the back end, you will be able to prevent those things more often than not. But obviously, nobody's going to be perfect, uh, particularly when Patrick Mahomes is throwing dimes 44 yards down the field. The question is always going to be, how do you accomplish those things? And those are going to be different for every team. And because they're going to have different personnel, they're going to have different coaching, they're going to have different philosophies. If you have Patrick Mahomes versus Jimmy Garoppolo versus Matt Ryan versus Lamar Jackson versus Gardner Minshew, you're going to accomplish those things very differently depending on who you have. And you have to build and tailor your team and your scheme to the players that you have. If you have Damian Williams versus Derrick Henry versus Christian McCaffrey, it's going to be different. And I think that's the part that gets lost in these conversations where people are like, just copy what the Chiefs did or just copy what the Eagles did or just copy what the Patriots do. Or, you know, it's just it's just lazy analysis. I also think it's lazy analysis when people sit here and, and you know, say Kyle Shanahan blew the game. But like, this is one of the reasons why I'm so arrogant sometimes, because I'm just like, this is why people have terrible takes. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. So I just think you have to tailor your your schemes and your play calling and your philosophy to the players that you have in order to best accomplish those goals. And if you have, if you don't have players, I'm sorry, that are good enough to do the things that you need them to do, then you got to go out and get those types of players. And even when you find those guys, there's no guarantee that you're going to keep them for long term, and there's no guarantee that they're going to stay healthy. And so thus you have to be able to make adjustments on the fly to be able to do the things differently um, to accomplish those same goals when the obstacles arrive. So in terms of, you know, learning lessons from this chiefs game, I don't learn any more lessons from watching the chiefs win the super bowl than I do any other football game. It's the same thing over and over. It's the same five things. The Falcons need to get better play out of Matt Ryan next year, right? He did not play well in 2019. The Falcons need to have more balance in their running game. The Falcons need to generate more explosive plays. The Falcons need to do a better job on the red zone. And yeah, you know, probably the one thing that they did reasonably well out of these five things offensively 
compared to the other one is it's convert on third downs, but they can do that even better. And of course the Falcons need to do a better job stopping the run. They did that well in the first half of the season, did not do that so well in the second half of the season. They need to do a better job pressuring the quarterback, did that well in the second half of the season, did not do that so well in the first half of the season. And they need to have better coverage on the back end. Yeah, you thought I was going to break it down. They didn't have good coverage on the back end at any point during the season, except for when Desmond Trufant was on the field, and that was only for one side of the football field. So all these things, the Falcons are going to have to do a better job at doing. You know, I think fortunately in the second half of the season, they were able to get stops in the red zone. They were able to get stops on third downs. They were able to limit how many big plays teams were able to get, and they were able to pressure the quarterback. So they were able defensively to to at least prevent teams from doing four out of the things that they want to do offensively. Um, but will that sustain into 2020? Who knows? Who knows with the Falcons? You know, like, you know, part of me wants to believe that, you know, those eight games at the end of the year, it's like, yeah, we can just port that over into 2020. We can just build off of that. But why, you know, <laughs> when you've been a Falcon fan for 30 years, why would you believe that just because you got hot at the end of one season, that's going to automatically carry over into the next season? So we'll have to sort of see. I, I would love to be wrong about that. You know, I, I'm basically what I'm saying. I'm hopeful, but I'm not going to hold my breath on that happening. But we'll see how it happens. We'll We'll have to sort of see. We'll see what plan they put into place if they are able to execute things this off season that will allow to them to do those things, those five things better in 2020 or uh, prevent teams from doing those things against them in 2020. That's going to be the key, but you know, it, you know, this Super Bowl was, I think a testament to the, you know, running the ball, passing the ball is, is all that matters. You know, part of Twitter. I certainly am, am much more, um, Favorable to that side of Twitter, uh, certainly in my analysis, but at the same time, I don't necessarily think it's as all or nothing as some very vocal proponents on that part of, of football Twitter or wherever you find it. I'm sure you can find it on Facebook and NFL.com, wherever you go, um, you know, various message boards or whatever, um, you can find that. But, you know, I'm not necessarily as gung-ho on that. Like, it's it's all about this. No, it's not all about it. It's, I think it's mostly about it, like 60 3% of it's about that. But other than that, didn't really learn anything about, you, you know, we knew the 49ers had a good defense. I didn't think their pass rush was going to be like this dominant unit that I think a lot of people were hyping them up to be. And unfortunately they had a few too many breakdowns and coverage at the end of the game. I think that kind of cost them. Um, and the, the chiefs were able to make the plays and the 49ers weren't. And, you know, it's not rocket science. Football is very complex, but it's also very simple at times. And um, the team that made the more plays in the end won the game. No surprise. Don't think you need to have a college degree to figure it out. So there you have it, guys. There's your rapid reaction to Super Bowl 54. There's your mock draft Monday. If you guys have any questions that you want to send in for future Q&As and mailbags that we normally do on Mondays, but because it was a big game on Sunday, by all means, send those in. We got more stuff to come now that the 2019 season is officially over, man. We got great stuff coming. Certainly next week is going to be a fun week. I think for you guys, send in any questions you have to locked on Falcons at mail.com. Your feedback is welcome on the social media accounts for the 
podcast at Lockdown Falcons on both Twitter and Facebook as well. You know, if if you if this makes you feel better about the Falcons blowing <laughs> Super Bowl Fifty One, I look. I who am I to sit here and tell you that you shouldn't feel good? I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> I don't, like, what do you expect? Like, if, if someone makes a twenty-eight to three joke from here on out, like, someone's gonna be like, "What? No, you can't do like some some." You know, you're gonna get suspended off of Twitter because, like, oh no, there's a rule now. You can't make twenty-eight to three jokes. You only can make twenty to ten jokes. Like, other than maybe like Falcon fans, I don't think anybody else is gonna be doing it. Maybe I guess maybe like Seahawks fans or something like that. I don't know. You know, I'm Team Kyle Shanahan till the day I die, but it is what it is. Anyway, guys, there you have it. Until then. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.